reading is from 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept, him, kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. And our second scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them this question. What do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, how is it then that David, by the Spirit, calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David thus calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one was able to give him an answer, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Come, Holy Spirit, as we hear these scriptures read and proclaimed, help us to discover your purpose for us and for our lives. We open ourselves now to you in Christ's holy name. Amen. So I have a birthday coming up this fall. It's one of those birthdays with a zero on the end. Do you notice how the birthdays and anniversaries with the zero, they just feel a little bit bigger? So I'm kind of tumbling into my midlife crisis, right? I was thinking about buying a sports car, or maybe a convertible, or actually a Jeep really has my eye, but that would be expensive. So I decided instead I'll just preach it out, okay? Because ultimately, these birthdays with the zeros they start you asking some bigger questions, right? Questions about meaning and questions about purpose. I read an article about midlife crisis this week by Brittany Brown, and she says that midlife is, is not a crisis, but it's a great unraveling. That things don't change all of a sudden, like they do in crisis, but things change slowly. So I'm going to invite you this week and over the course of the next five weeks to think about those points of change in your life. Uh, maybe you're not heading into midlife. Some of us are. 
But maybe there are other changes. Changing grades at school, moving to a a new place. Maybe you're uh, taking that first step into retirement and asking what life will look like on the other side. These things change slowly, right? Reminds me of a time that my friend and I took a sailboat out on Keuka Lake. We had uh, gone over it stem to stern, made sure that all the ropes were ready and the, and the sails were patched, and we took it out onto the lake. We were only missing one ingredient that day to have a beautiful day sailing. There was no wind. I mean, there was enough wind for us to get off the boat launch, right, and to get a couple hundred yards from shore. But then slowly, and we barely noticed the change, but the wind just kind of disappeared. I mean, flat, calm. Have you ever been in a boat, a sailboat with flat calm? You just kind of float there. There's no way to go forward. There's no way to go back. You're just kind of adrift. Do you ever have that feeling in your life? You start to ask the questions about, where am I headed? Do I even have a direction right now? Well, over the course of these next weeks, I want us to ask the question of what it would mean for us to live life on purpose. To live our lives with our God-given purpose in mind. And I'm going to invite us this week and over the course of the next week to take certain actions on purpose. Because I believe that living a faithful life as a disciple of Jesus Christ isn't something that just happens to us. But it's a process that we're called to participate in. Discovering God's purpose for our life and God's purpose in the world. And then living that out. So the first topic I want to think about in this series is connecting on purpose. I was thinking back to one of my earliest friends. His name is Kenny Mapes. And that's significant because my name is Nick Keeney. And when we walked into our first grade classroom, that first year that you got your own desk with your name printed on the front, our teacher put us in alphabetical order. So Nick Keeney sat next to Kenny Mapes. And we became friends that first grade year. And even though there were two classrooms in my elementary school, sort of the same size as Chambers Hill, in second grade, we were seated in alphabetical order. So Nick Keeney sat next to Kenny Mapes again. And again, in third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, and sixth grade, not only was Kenny Mapes in my classroom every time, but he was my seatmate all those years. And you know, Nick Keeney, Kenny Mapes, still friends today. It was so easy to make friends back then, right? Uh, Life and circumstances just kind of put you together. And when you're kids, you just say, hey, let's be friends. It's almost as easy as that. Have you noticed as you've grown older, though, it gets a little bit harder. To to make new friends takes a little more intention to, to maintain friendships that you already have. Well, today we read a passage about one of the most famous friendships in the Bible. The friendship between Jonathan, Saul's son, and David. In fact, the language that we read today is that they made a covenant together. They made a promise of friendship. And it says in the Bible that Jonathan loved David as much as he loved his own soul. 
Kind of mushy stuff, huh? I imagine if we wrote a story about two guys, you know, in the modern world, they wouldn't be making a covenant together. They'd just be punching each other in the arm, right? Saying, hey, dude, what's up? But not in this story. Jonathan and David talk about friendship in a way that we don't usually see two adult males doing. But there it is in the Bible. Jonathan gives David gifts. In fact, he gives him his robe, his armor, his sword, his bow and arrow, and his belt. All symbols of his position. Symbols of his power, of his wealth, and of his status. And Jonathan gives these all freely to his friend David. And this is the beginning of David's success as a leader and as a warrior and eventually as a king. David's success all comes from this place of love and this place of deep friendship with Jonathan. Are you surprised that Jonathan would give those things away? Uh, A robe, his armor, his sword, his bow, his belt, and eventually his claim to the throne, even. It surprises me at first, but then I think about the relationships in my own life, what really matters down at the bottom, and there's a lot of things I would give up before I would give up those relationships. Our relationships are some of the most important things in our lives. But I wonder how often we really stop to realize that. At our core, our our deepest identities are, are formed by our relationships. Right? I can't even describe who I am to you without talking about some other people. Right? I'm, I'm Alan's son. I'm Brookie's husband. I'm Clark and AJ's dad. I'm your pastor. Right? When you get down to it, relationships are one of the things we value the most in our lives. Our connection to others. But I wonder, do we live as though this is true? Do we give our relationships the time and attention that they deserve? so they can be healthy and fulfilling, the ways that we're connected to others. The data on the whole would suggest that Americans don't. I read some things about how modern Americans feel the most disconnected now from their communities than at any time in history. And did you know that feeling lonely is one of the worst things for your health? It is statistically worse for you to feel lonely than to be obese or to smoke. In fact, adult friendships are the single strongest predictor of your physical health. I wondered why that connection would be, but I found an interesting study from the University of Michigan. They took in volunteers and they gave them a test to screen them for how lonely they were feeling. And then they exposed each volunteer to a cold virus. They literally took a swab and stuck it up in their nose to to give them a cold, right? Then they quarantined them for five days. And guess what happens if you stick the cold virus in somebody's nose? They get a cold, right? But the lonely group, the lonely group got much sicker and for a much longer duration than the connected group did. So who are the the loneliest people 
This one surprised me. When you survey all of the adult population, the loneliest group are 16 to 24-year-olds, particularly those with the heaviest social media use. The next highest group was returning veterans. Some of you have probably been through that process of coming back from the camaraderie of the service and then trying to reintegrate to civilian life. And then third on the list was the elderly, uh, particularly any who live alone. So widows and widowers in that category. I was thinking about this during the week and I ran across a great artist. Uh, I want to show you some pictures now from the artist Eric Pickersgill. He took a series of portraits of Americans in their everyday lives and then he removed their smartphones from the picture. Have you ever noticed this happening in your life? I distinctly remember when family was gathered for Easter this year. There was one point we looked around the living room and everybody sitting there was on their own device. It takes a lot of time and effort and money for our family to gather from all the different places that we live in. And we came together to sit in my living room and look at our devices together. These last couple images might influence how fathers want to spend the rest of your day together with kids, right? Sometimes we are a disconnected people, are we not? People ask me all the time as a pastor, hey pastor, do, do I have to go to church to be a Christian? And you know the answer, truthfully, is probably not. I mean, you could watch a sermon or a, or a TED talk on YouTube in the morning, right? You could sing worship songs in your car while you're driving around. You could do your own daily devotion out of a, a book. You could read the Bible by yourself. You could say your prayers in quiet. But church, church is where the connections are. I have a colleague that likes to call all of his congregation members friends in the faith. I kind of like that phrase. And it brings me back to one of the questions we have as a church. We're supposed to be spreading the good news, going out and doing evangelism. And we often talk about that and wonder, why should we spread the good news? You know, sometimes we get some answers to that that are subpar. We do evangelism to, to make the church grow. Or we do evangelism to get more people on Sunday mornings. Or we do evangelism to, to have a little bit more in the offering plate, right? But those aren't the real reasons that we would share the good news of Jesus Christ. We do it to connect. When we remember that God loves us, then we want to share that love with others, to reach out and make new connections. So I wonder, as we're thinking about living life on purpose this week, what would it mean for you to connect on purpose? over the course of the next seven days? Is there an old friend that you could reconnect with this week? 
Maybe you can meet somebody new here this morning and, and learn their name if you haven't yet. Is there a way that you could build community in your neighborhood? Is there someone in need that you could go and help? Is there someone lonely that you could pay a visit to? How could you connect on purpose this week? could be as simple as making a phone call or writing a letter. When we connect on purpose, we're living out the commands that Jesus gave us. To love God and to love neighbor. I am convinced, friends, that a life with meaning and a life with purpose is a connected life. And there is no better example in all of Scripture than this one, of what it means to connect on purpose. Hear again these words that Jesus says to his followers in the Gospel of John. Jesus said to them, I do not call you servants any longer, because the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. Friends, let us be connected to God and to one another this week. Amen. I'd like to invite you to stand and sing now from the hymnal, page 526.